Cura, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is B-Side Stories, stories of the people who make Wellington tick. I'm one of your hosts today. My name's Laura. Hi, I'm Sapir. Hey, Sapir. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. Enjoying some sunshine for a change. Oh, my gosh. And it was absolutely perfect timing with the sunny day because it's Mental Health Awareness Week uh, this week in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And uh, it, today was uh, the... Let me start over. The The theme of the week is nature is key. It is. It is key, isn't it? Mm. Nature is key. So um, they have like sort of little activities that they encourage people to do every day for Mental Health Awareness Week. And the one today was go outside for an hour and lock yourself out. Um, so I was able to do that in the bright sunshine and had like a great lunch hour on the waterfront and really enjoyed that time. That's so good. Did you feel like it? contributed better to your mental health that certainly didn't hurt it actually did it actually did and it's so weird that we sometimes forget that you could just go outside and and enjoy the day um because you're so busy at your computer typing away yeah uh definitely and typing doesn't help and sitting at a desk certainly doesn't so the more you can get outside and breathe some fresh air it's always going to help uh um and i extra connected to nature because I met a nice dog. That's so great. What kind of dog? I don't know, some little fluff ball thing. That was kind of like, looked like, um, it looked like if you had the right motivation, you could shave it to look like a lion. (laughs) Motivation is a really important part of that (laughs) sentence. I feel like we, if we could and we asked the dog, I'm not sure (laughs) that they would want to look like a lion. I sometimes would rather look like a lion. (laughs) But I don't know about the dog. You just don't have that option. I wish. I wish sometimes <laughs> that I had that option. That would be my mental health push is like if I could look like a lion. Looking like a I lion I would feel day. so good. Yeah. Maybe, you know, next next year. Yeah. They could work that in. I could pitch that as the next theme. <laughs> like nature was great, but what about looking like an animal? Looking like an animal. Um, I think that's brilliant, Sapir. Uh Yeah. I'm uh, definitely appreciating Mental Health Awareness Week, Mm -hmm. and um, it's something that affects pretty much, I mean, it touches everyone's lives, and I think if you're listening out there and you think of the people that you know, your friends, your family members, yourself, the people you live with, um, there's, there's definitely a lot of people in your life who are affected by mental illness, and there's there's no question that we need to talk about it more and we need to learn to take care of ourselves and we need to take care of our friends too. Yeah. No, we definitely do. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of ways to help each other and a lot of ways to help yourselves and the more research you can do and the more experimenting you can do, you'll find the thing that works for you. There's no one cure to mental health. Uh there's no one recipe. Um, certainly getting outside and enjoying nature is a big, a big part of, of helping people get out of their head and into the world, but there's, there's heaps, there's so many different ways. Mm. Totally agree. And also just meet as many dogs as you can. (laughs) I actually, one of my friends posted on social media to say, just, uh, it's mental health awareness week and I'm really fragile, but if you see any dogs, Snapchat me. (laughs) 
So it's, yeah, you're so, not wrong. It's a, it's a reals? real thing. Yeah, yeah. for reals. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, do, do Snapchat your dog, your dog photos to all of your friends. <laughs> this is B-Side Stories. I'm Laura. And I'm Sapir, and I'm joined by Tony Kipfer, all the way from Miramar, who has a studio called Real Glass Studio. Uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself and what on earth you do there. <laughs> what do I do there? Uh, well, I'm a glass blower, a glass artist. I've got uh, uh, a hot glass shop, which means that I've got a little furnace going, and inside that furnace is a, uh, a quantity of hot molten glass that's kept there bubbling away all the time and uh, uh, then I uh, have my days when I make things out of that. So when you say there's a molten furnace of glass bubbling away all the time, how does that work? Can you tell us a bit about the science of of molten glass? Um, Well, glass uh, is primarily made out of sand. Well, what we mostly know is sand. Uh, The proper scientific term would be silica. And that's the main glass former. You add other things like uh, calcium, potassium, sodium, and a few other things to spice it up a bit. Uh, You mix all those things up and uh, you throw that into a furnace at between 1250 to 1300 degrees centigrade. That's hot. And that's enough to uh, make those things all melt down and you end up with... uh, a quantity of hot molten glass, which, if you think of uh, a volcano and the lava coming out of it, well, that's a bit, you know, that's more stone, but it's just soft and flowing, and uh, it sits there in the furnace at about just over a 1,000 degrees centigrade, and uh, I work it at that temperature. Uh, and how does glass blowing happen? Can you, I know we, we don't have a visual here, what with the radio, but uh, all I know about glass blowing is you have a stick uh, and you collect glass onto it and then you blow onto it. But can you give us the the experts breakdown? Oh well, <clears throat> that's not a bad description that you gave. Yeah, actually. maybe yeah. Sapir, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's actually a long steel rod. Uh, a little stick would probably burn up in it. Uh, but, I thought uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long steel rod. Uh, in one case, they're hollow. In one case, they're solid. It all depends what you're doing with it. Uh, in the case of the hollow rods, yes, you uh, heat up the ends of the irons, just the, you know, oh, the, the first inch of it, so they're just getting into a dull cherry red heat. Mm. Interesting enough, hot glass won't stick on anything cold. That is interesting. Yes. Do you know why? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> in a word, but it just won't. Uh, but it'll heat it up fast enough to where it will get hot enough mm-hmm. and it might stick. But anyways, you uh, you uh, then dip the end of this rod into the molten glass and you get a little ball of it. Uh, the first ball might not be much larger than uh, a golf ball or a small mandarin orange. Uh, and uh, then you start working that and you get it shaped and you get it nicely centered on the end of the iron so it's... Uh, evenly distributed, and then you introduce an air bubble by uh, 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 doing a bit of, uh, a, a, a little bit of blowing down the pipe, and then you, uh, then you seal the end of the pipe, and the intense heat of the glass heats the air, which then expands. And as long as you keep that back pressure in the pipe uh, by either pursing your, your lips over the top or using your thumb, uh, 
the air expanding starts an air bubble in there. And the end of the pipe doesn't burn your lips? It doesn't get so hot up to the I'm at the other end. These pipes are, what, uh, about 1.4 meters long or 1.3 meters long, roughly. And uh, so I'm a a long ways away from where it's hot. So it's very comfortable. Good. Um, Yeah, I, I immediately thought that sitting in front of a furnace that hot, you'd need, like, some serious gear to make sure that you're not uncomfortable. Uh, well, the furnaces are very heavily insulated, so if you don't have the door of the furnace open, then you're not really feeling intense heat. Uh, you're feeling just a wee bit of warmth off uh, the heat that escapes off the furnace. It's uh, uh, not that bad. Um, hey, Tony, how did you learn how to do that? How did you learn how to do the process that you're describing? Uh, well... Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it uh, at a, a university up in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, where, no kidding. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but that's where I'm from. Oh, anyway, well, there you go. Good are. connection. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyways, and uh, this was uh, back in 1970. It was about the beginning of what they refer to as the studio glass movement. That was a kind of a movement where uh, individual artists, they wanted to work with glass, but it was pretty hard to get into industry because industry was, you know, like bang, 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 and they didn't have time for people to come in and go through the long, painstaking process of learning how to control this unwieldy material. Uh, so artists started to build these little makeshift furnaces in their backyards using fairly crude materials, and uh, they'd melt down old bottles, anything that, that they could get, in order to get some quantity of uh, hot molten glass there to start playing with. Out of that, uh, slowly a few initiatives got started at uh, a few schools to where they got a little makeshift studio going and various artists started to play with it and uh, and experiment with it. Out of that, uh, this was on an international scale, I I might mention. This was all going on in America, Europe, and... uh, uh, Anyways, eventually it evolved since then, since the late 60s, early 70s, uh, to where there's numerous universities around the world now that offer it as uh, a proper course, mm. uh, two, three-year course, mm. uh, in conjunction with art uh, degrees. And so you could properly learn. We didn't have a proper teacher back then. We had uh, a person who knew a bit more than us. And he'd come in and he made this crude form and we said, and he said, well, that's how you do it. And, and we go, okay. And then we'd sit there and try and try and try and struggle and struggle. And you eventually work with, uh, uh, with various people who know just a bit more than you did at the time. And you pick up a trick here and there. And you work on that and develop it and skills advance. And yes, on it goes. Wow. So when you came to New Zealand, um, when, when did you come to New Zealand? Uh, this was the very end of 1973, uh, uh, early 1974, and uh, ended up uh, in the small town of Inglewood in Taranaki and was faced with, well, what will I do? And uh, uh, I decided that uh, I'd get a glass studio going. And so there was, was never any doubt in your mind that this was something that you'd like to pursue? Mm, I don't know about doubt. Mm-hmm. It, it was I had to choose something, so I figured I, 
I'd have a go at getting this going, and it proved to be a challenge. As there wasn't much of a support network. There weren't any others really around in New Zealand at the time, other than, again, your large industries who were mass-producing lampshades or bottles on, on machines and, in a few cases, uh, hand-blown work. But uh, uh, So it was a bit of a struggle way back then to uh, develop the studio, get it uh, operational, and, uh, and then start blowing glass. And um, once you did get it set up, what was your what was your goal? Were you, were you wanting to make commercially available glass? Was it mostly as a hobby? No. Uh, these furnaces run 24 hours a day. Uh, the ones I'm using are run on gas. Do I have to say more? Uh, like, like <laughs> there's a gas meter going around and around and around and around. So, so it's not cheap. So yes, I had to get commercial <laughs> because I had to pay the gas bill if I wanted to carry on uh, blowing glass, which was... Uh, the more I did it, the more I got absorbed in it, I guess. And uh, yes, it, it became uh, a passion, a way of life, uh, a way of expressing myself. Uh, and uh, it probably the, uh, the biggest thing about it is the way that it brought me in contact with anyone and everyone. It was a great leveler because I dealt with people from the highest echelons of society, many politicians, down to people uh, like you were speaking with earlier, with your earlier guest, uh, sure. in need. And uh, those on, well, not so much low income, but hardly any income at all. And uh, I was able to deal with all of them at the same level. It was, uh, it was excellent. That's really special. I think that's something that the arts can do. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, the key strength of arts is uh, it crosses all those lines. Where, where does your inspiration come from for what you're actually making? Can you talk us through your stock, your the work oh. that you're creating? Oh gosh, there's a wide range of things I make. Probably the, the biggest uh, influence I have it probably comes from the natural world, mm. uh, uh, primarily. Because glass in itself is a very natural element. If you think of obsidian and your natural glass is found, they're a little dirty. That's why they're dark and black. Mm. You clean out all the all the rubbish like iron, magnesium that's encased in, in, in there, and you have nice clear glass. Uh, but as you pull the hot glass out, it starts. If you leave it on its own, it it just starts to make forms that. You see as you walk along the beach, as you walk through a forest, uh, the vines going up a tree. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, the twisted rocks that you see on the beach that are all uh, all, all left around. Uh, there's just a natural quality about it which blends itself with uh, nature. <clears throat> so, what do you make when when what? Yeah, like what do you make? Oh, what do I make? I'm, what should uh, I picture? Uh, well, everything from a small bowl on up to very large, uh, large tall bottles, uh, uh, traditional forms, and then you start throwing things like color into it and uh, multicolor patterns on the surfaces uh, that create images of what I was just referring to, like mm. of vines and trees or flowers and. Wow. Uh, and you can do this either in 
like a, a pictorial imagery where you have lines on a piece that are in, in color, or you can get adventurous. I, I referred earlier to uh, like vines on trees. Well, you, you, if you make a tall vessel and then you wrap a little piece of glass around the surface of it, but it doesn't get melted in, so it stays out there on the surface in relief, and you can feel it. Like you can go up to a tree and you can feel the vines going up the uh, up the tree, or you can uh, uh, start to manipulate the shapes by using molds, uh, where you can create various textures, various uh, uh, undulations in the glass, which. The transparency of glass, uh, of course, blends itself so well with light because as light comes in, it usually goes straight through like a window. But if you start bending it and add little bumps and little indentations here and there, that light gets bounced around, so it starts to uh, uh, cr create images that you wouldn't even know existed if you didn't. You know, this, the, there's a magic about it that's mm. uh, exciting. You're talking about making very beautiful, very artistic things. Do you also intend for your work to be used every day, like for cereal or cereal coffee? <laughs> cereal. You know, like. yeah. yeah. Well, well, could I go well, and get could. my set of cutlery from you? Well, not, not cutlery, but like bowls. Yeah, cereal bowls. Yes, you could, but uh, unfortunately, I have to refer back to the expense of getting. Uh, of one, getting the studio going, and two, keeping it going. Mm. Uh, a, a group or a set of cereal bowls for me, one bowl would probably cost you what you could get 12 for from the warehouse. Mm. So, but, you know, so that's not an, yeah, so. yeah, well, <laughs> true, true, but then you're going to put it in the shelf because it's so, you know, you don't want to break it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, I think beautiful objects we're afraid to use in a practical way yes. sometimes. So, uh, yeah, well, I do try to find things that I can make that are very usable, uh, that you can't find in other places, in other stores, uh, or, or, or whatnot, that uh, will pay for themselves and mm. uh, at the same time uh, please like the purchaser. Like what? What kind of things? Uh... Well, there's various things like uh, uh, drinking vessels is one, uh, uh, <coughs> bowls. There's uh, functional wear is is uh, mm, it's one thing that rides a fine line with me because I can't afford to make a lot of purely mm -hmm. functional wear, even though you can use them for as a bowl. Uh, the el elaborateness of the designs and that go into them uh, will uh, make them uh, something that you don't really want to use. No, yeah. But you want to look at. I can imagine some a, a beautiful piece of yours in the middle of a dinner table, like just as a centerpiece. Hopefully, there'll be some food in it. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. a spirit. Or a flower. Or a flower. Uh, so where can we find some of your things? Your studio is in Miramar on Ropa Lane. Yes. Uh, uh, but where can we where can we find your work? Okay. Well, uh, you can. F I have a display of work up there at the studio. Uh, <clears throat> I have my open days on Fridays and Saturdays from ten to four, so you can come and visit and watch uh, all the action, and then you can see a few of the things that have al al already been made. 
There's another uh, at the gallery uh, uh, in Shelly Bay, Blackmore and Best, over in, uh, on the Petoni Foreshore art space. Mm -hmm. uh, I occasionally have work at the Academy of Fine Arts, at Pawtucka Art, art Museum uh, out in, out in uh, Polirua has some. A little a gallery up in Waikanae called Artel. Tony, you talk about being a creator, but I also, when I think about your background and where you've come from, do you also, like, pass it on to, do you teach, I guess, to people who know a little bit less than you? Um, mostly, no. I don't do classes anymore. I spent, uh, uh, I was instrumental in the establishment of the glass training program up in Wanganui back in the late 1980s. Wow. And I uh, spent ten and some well, about eight nine years uh, being in charge of it and, and having to run it. Mm. Then it stood back a bit, and uh, you yeah, let, the, the, uh, let the baby bird fly. I, well, yeah, I, I let that go. I've uh, yes, I've done quite a bit of training over the last uh, uh, well, previously up in Inglewood. I think I had about of four people who I trained uh, in Wanganui. Well, there's a lot of students have gone through that program. And mm. Now, uh, uh, the studio's just a bit small. I, I just, it's just something I'm not prepared to anymore, mostly for the amount of time that it takes. Sure. I'm not in a situation where it's either them or me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, That's amazing that you established a training school. Was there quite a big demand for it? Well, no, Did it was, uh, I was, uh, I was asked to come down, uh, and to help start this, this was the initiative of uh, uh, a few other people who were then involved in the, the, the Wanganui Polytechnic at the time. And uh, uh, I was asked if I would c come down and help start the, the program. So it wasn't really mine. Yeah, <laughs> I just helped it go. So um, this coming weekend is the last weekend of the school holidays. Mm -hmm. Do you are you happy for kids to come and check out Ab your work? Absolutely, I, I enjoy kids. It's the magic of their eyes when they see this. Uh, they're not sure what to expect, and you open the door on the furnace, and Ooh. nearly eleven hundred degrees centigrade is pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty impressive. I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> open a pizza faces. oven. Well, mm, <laughs> not so impressive, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. So um, earlier we played uh, Blondie's Heart of Glass. Yes. Uh, you, you told us that uh, you had a bit of a gag with, with someone else on the on Radioactive. But yes. you were saying that you do you like to listen to music and, and like rock out a little bit while you're working or is uh, it very focused time? I've got music going all the time in the studio. I, I, I find it hard to not have some rhythm, mostly because of the rhythm of the glass. Mm. Uh, blowing glass and, and working with hot glass is a dance. And uh, music, well, it's hard to dance without the music. Sounds amazing. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank that was you. really wonderful to listen to. Quite, and we'll see you. Quite poetic way to finish as well. Good yeah. job. <laughs> um, so we'll see you at your studio in Miramar. I hope so. Um, this has been B-Side Stories. Thanks for listening. 106.1 FM. Thanks for listening, Wellington. Here's a song to end.
That program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.